0: Welcome to another episode of Stay Paid. I'm Joshua Stike, along with Luke Acree. And today, our guest is Rick Demko. He is the Director of Insurance for Centric or Strategies. We're going to bring him on in just a minute. But man, this guy has built a book of business almost to 10,000 clients. it's unbelievable. He's had 250 agents working in his uh, business. And we're going to get into how he's got to that point uh, Mm -hmm. in this interview.
1: And built it in life insurance, which everybody knows insurance. Like He compared (laughs) it to like Insurance salesmen are right above, like the people think of, like used car salesmen, like just right above. So insurance is a hard sale. And what I loved about this interview, very, very passionate, right? And he shares some emotional stories, Mm. and that, uh, right there, is the takeaway. Is like, do you have emotional stories of
0: why you're doing what you do? And he has some of those. Absolutely. But before we bring him on, we'd love it if you take a minute to subscribe to stay paid on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you're not already. And while you're there, drop us a review. To let us know how you how we're doing, how you're doing, Yeah, and we'll let read us it know on how the show. You're, you're doing too. Also, let us know how you're doing. We care. We care. Before like Josh, we bring Rick on very th- well, I do want to call attention to a survey that we have over at staypaidpodcast.com survey. Seven simple questions. We're just looking for your feedback on what type of the uh, what type of interviews do you enjoy? What type of format for the show do you enjoy? Is there anybody that you would like to hear on the come on the podcast or different topics that you want to hear us talk about? We're getting a lot of responses over there already so we'd love if you go to staypaidpodcast.com slash survey to give us your feedback there and now let's get into this week's interview. Our guest today is Richard Demko. He is the Director of Insurance for Centric Risk Strategies, LLC, a rapidly growing financial services organization within Centric Advisors, LLC. Focused predominantly on the production side, Rick and his team lead the development and implementation of all lines of insurance. In addition to his insurance practice, Rick is also a past NAFA Houston president, a National Four Under 40 recipient, and a member of the Million Dollar Roundtable. Rick, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you, gentlemen. Happy to be here.
0: Man, it's awesome to have you on the show. We'd love for you to just take a
1: little bit of time. Obviously, you've um, had a lot of success in your career building your insurance practice, obviously the part of the Million Dollar Roundtable. Tell us a little bit about how you got into what you're doing and what leads you up to where you're at today.
2: So it's funny when I hear people say success when it's attached to my name, because I, I never I, I feel like I haven't left the starting block. And it's uh, when I when I see the accolades and people talking about me and they want to, they want to benchmark with me. It, it gets me excited, but I, I don't think I deserve any of it. When I got into the business initially, I was told that I, I had a lot of potential, and that that really irked me because it's up until the, the insurance point. I don't think anyone really said that I, I was I was a perfect cookie cutter for for what would would really. Make it in a particular business, and I found myself in the the broken road that led me to to insurance. and And I'll take a step back and say I I intently chose to get into insurance. It was not a mistake. It was a very well thought out process. But very quickly in my insurance career, I I was pulled to life insurance. So chose insurance, and then life insurance really chose me. But it was it was interesting because I I had the right pedigree to really leverage contacts. I I could communicate. I was educated just the right way. I was in the right clubs. I went to the right school. And you think, man, this guy's got all the potential in the world. He is going to just rock this business. And it sucked. And I failed. I I failed miserably, fell right on my face. It's, you know, pedigree aside, it it doesn't matter who you are. It's, I've been blessed enough to, to, to understand that, you know, luck looks an awful lot like hard work. And uh, it's been a broken road to get here. And I've, I've rebuilt my agency several times uh, coming off of, of probably the last three or four really great years uh, where my income is, is, is really, really taken off. And I've, I feel like I've worked less and less and less. It's just been on higher level, more cerebral type stuff instead of kicking down doors and, and uh, running leads like I used to. So <laughs> it's it's been a neat path, I, I, I think. I get fired up more on working with new producers and new sales professionals than than I do writing a, a massively large case. That's so awesome. it's been a fun journey though.
0: That's a dream man, work less, make more. That's what that's what we're all. Yeah, that's, what, that's what we're I here for. I think we need to write a
1: song like God Bless the Broken Road but it's like a sales parody.
0: <laughs> that led me to insurance, that led me to real, led estate. Me to real estate. Yeah. <laughs> So Rick, let's kind of dig into the business side a little bit cuz so we were talking right before the podcast and we were kind of uh, you were sharing this idea of you had to figure out very early on that you needed a way to generate leads without buying leads or else you wouldn't make it in this business. So talk a little bit about what that means and how are you coaching your agents uh, to keep their pipeline full of leads uh in the insurance business?
2: Sure. Yeah. I mean, insurance is, is, a, is a bit of a weird thing, right? It's, it's a lot of times we're attributed to like the used car salesman of, of, of so it's, it's, you got used car salesman and very close second might be the, the life insurance <laughs> professional. So hi. Uh, and, and I am just a dumb life insurance guy. I, I tote that from, from the, the highest mountains that I, that I can. And I, that language is very intentional. When I say that I'm dumb, it, it kind of divides like the Moses splitting the Red Sea, you know, 10% of folks, you just called yourself dumb. I have no purpose in speaking with you anymore. And I think, awesome. That's, that's, hmm. that's 10% less of the folks that I need to even chat with anymore. I don't have time for it. But the other 90% lean in a little bit. And what's going on here? There's more to you than that. So it, it's been kind of an odd journey through the process. And I started in financial services, more of the, the sexier types of planning. And I, I was blessed with a lot of really great mentors around me. And one of the, it, it, and I'll, I'll come back to this, but to divert just a little bit, I, I went from financial services to, to really final expense, which is much more, co, co, I mean, hardcore closes. And one sale closed, very, very different process. Uh, and then kind of full circle came back to uh, the kind of the older way of, of the approach. So when you first get into financial services, it's, it's supposed to be a relationship type business. Right. And, and it certainly is now. But who's gonna trust you with your money if you're new to the business? Who knows if you're gonna last? And it, it, it's, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, so the, the, the life insurance person usually comes across as like the Ned Ryerson, if you remember Groundhog Day. <laughs> and and that's, that's how usually, that especially the life insurance folks, yeah. just, you know, hounding down poor Bill Murray uh, <laughs> for day after day after day. And finally he bought every policy that he had so really it was the life insurance guy why that, why that day stopped repeating. So he finally gave in and bought those policies. <laughs> so it's a lesson to all of us. But they did this Project 200 at the my very, very beginning of my career to where uh, you had to list out you know, the 200 folks that were willing to visit with you. They, they knew who you were. And, and those were your prospects. And, and I refused to do it. And, and I'm not saying that you should refuse to do anything that your managers ask you to do. There's a reason and a purpose for all of it. I just knew I I was willing to do the project 200. I just, I just wanted to do it a little bit differently. I Mm. wasn't going to list people I already knew because if I did that people who, Hey, we don't know if you're going to make it. It's I already have a guy. I have all these things. So I needed to find new prospects. Mm. So I went out and I, I did some traditional stuff. I did some of the more traditional networking, um, I mean, at the Chambers and B&Is and, I mean, any, any free event that I could. Later, I found out that the free stuff is the stuff you should stay away from. Uh, but, it, you know, that it takes a little time to get some of that, that experience. Project 200 was a good thing. I did succeed. Uh, I had a great first first year, um, set some records through the process, and, and you know, decided that it, I, I needed to, to pivot uh, a, a little differently in order to, to gather some more experience. but. Like, I don't, for whatever reason, gentlemen, the, the broken road theme is going to continue, I guess, through our our, our conversation today.
1: <laughs> well, so, so you talk about the 200, right? The challenge. And I, I'm not, this is the first time I'm hearing about it. So making sure I understand. Basically, what they would tell you to do is as an insurance agent, you should list out the 200 closest people to you. Like the 200 people in your sphere that would be willing to give you a chance to at least have an appointment. And you're supposed yep. to prospect all of them. And you were saying you refused to do that because you didn't want to be just the guy, right? The insurance guy that's always coming around trying to sell their friends and family. So when you pivoted and you went after the 200, you you kind of went out to people that don't know you. Did that work? Did, like, did you actually have success going to people that did not know you? Did you end up reverting back to the people you know and just do it a little differently? Like what were the tactics that you have you implemented there.
2: I'm glad you brought up that last part because it was, it was a little bit of a a hybrid approach. Um, I I did not do the project 200 like they intended, which was to call on my, my family, my friends, the the immediate circles. I just, I I knew the pipe would dry up if I didn't learn how to prospect. Okay. So I needed to find a way on my own to be able to generate enough activity to get people interested and have them willing to sit knee to knee with me. So I I visited with chatted with was compelling enough in order to, to talk them into at least having a conversation with me. Now they say, fake it till you make it, which I didn't do Um, maybe the way that I dressed, but the level of persona and the success that I was having at that time. But I I wasn't saying anything that wasn't true. I wasn't, I wasn't pumping my chest and saying that I was good at this. In fact, I, I probably was still saying that I'm a dumb life insurance guy then, except then it was true. But I, I would sell the firm. I was I was I was working for with a, a very elite group, so I would tee them up. You know, my job was to bring people at the table and then learn by by the other people around me, which was really important. But the the, the part that you you mentioned, you know, did I circle back to some of those friends and family? I had a, uh, I played some some pretty competitive hockey, and a gentleman that I played played a hockey with, uh, blood, sweat, and tears with, scheduled an appointment with me, and then later stood me up. And uh, I found out that he died. And the reason why I set that, that appointment was he had a, a, like a three-year-old son at the time, was a single father. And he stood me up and about a, a month or two later died. Well, if I wouldn't have placed that phone call, sitting in, that, the, sitting in the church was already difficult enough as it was. And our, our high school hockey team, we had three jerseys. We had a red one, a, a white one, and a black one. We always loved wearing the black one because that was, that was our war paint. You know, that's, that's, that's when we were going out to battle. Well, unfortunately we, we wore those black jerseys to his wake,
0: mm.
2: you know, and I, I thought real hard and, and tried to, 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 think about, you know, what could I have done better? And I'm, 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 I felt like I'd, I had done what I could. I scheduled the appointment. He stood me up. I gave him an opportunity, but what if I would have, what if I wouldn't have made that phone call? You know, how would I have been sitting in that church and what would have been going through my mind? when I saw his little boy walked down the aisle to, to with a big old smile on his face, cause he, he didn't know any better at three, mm. you know, hugging grandpa, the family's going to be fine, but that's, that's not that important. Uh, because the family was pretty well to do anyways, but it, it, it's, it's, I'll always give someone a chance to say no to my face. And it's, you know, so I, I in the beginning, the, the phone gets real, real heavy. You got to pick up that phone, You're smiling and dialing is sometimes what folks would end up talking about. Um, I I refuse to go through an experience where someone came across my brain and I didn't give them an opportunity. So yeah, I did circle back with a bunch of those and I had a a couple of folks that died uh, some with plans and some without plans. So I'm blessed enough in my career to a good producer, a career producer from an agency, uh, like a multi-line agency, some of the ones that have your, your home and auto and those types of policies might pay, three, four, five death claims in a, a long career. And I've paid over 110 death claims. Oh, wow. So I've seen what, what the money does for families. And I've been blessed to have a high degree of, of, of activity and a, you know, a lot of families that trusted us to do these plans. But it all started with Project 200.
0: No, that's, that's an amazing story. Uh, h- how do you get to that trust level? Obviously, you know, in order to do business with somebody, you have to know them, you have to like them, you have to trust them. I think the um, the line of like, I'm just a dumb insurance, like that builds a lot of likability. But how do you get to that trust level where uh, someone is ready to work with you and then continue using you for additional lines of products, etc., whatever it is in your business?
2: Yeah. Great question. Uh, and I've always loved, you know, people do business with and refer business to those they know, like, and trust good buddy of mine, Bob Berg, uh, wrote some good book, books and, and the go-giver with, with David Mann, um, you know, how to reach stratospheric success, which is uh, our firm gives that book out more than any other book. Hmm. Uh, yeah. So I, I, use the dumb life insurance guy thing. Uh, but it, unless, unless you really know what you're talking about, you, you can't use that line. Otherwise people are just going to think you're stupid and whether they think I'm stupid or not I, I frankly don't even care I mean you get to a point where you just don't care anymore so I think Bob also told me that uh, you know you have to care just not that much and it's kind of a persona and how you go through some things it's um, yeah so I, so I use that, that that dumb life insurance guy thing but I think if, if you unless you understand unless you can explain something simply enough you simply don't understand it well enough mm. So with that, it's 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 a true. I have maybe an unconscious level of competence when it comes to some of these products. I've got a bunch of letters after my name. Uh, I have not ten thousand clients, but I'm getting there. You know, I've I've written some cases over my career um, all over the country. Before I joined Centric, I I had my own firm that was operating in in, in half the country. Now I'm able to touch even more lives. So it's how do I get them to trust me? I, I think it's by being compelling, by being authentic, I'm very unapologetic for, for the type of guy that I am. I'm way more direct than most of the folks. And I I think it comes with some confidence in order to be able to, to deliver in, the, in that way. And how do you get confident, right? So you have to gather these experiences. Uh, a lot of times I talk about uh, what, what's more important, the knowledge base or, or the experience. And, and you can borrow parts of that from a lot of different avenues, but... I don't think anything makes up for having real experiences. Now you can speed up the process by reading, by being around people, by learning, learning from other people's experiences. But do you really understand what your dad was talking about until you experienced it yourself? Probably not. <laughs> so, it, you know, for, for me, I, I, don't, I don't spend time building rapport. It's. I sit down with somebody, It's. I mean, it's go time. I, I've developed my practice quite a bit different to where I, I'm the plastic surgeon. You're going to be dealing with my staff way more than me. I might walk in the room for 10, 15 minutes and then I've got something else that I need to do. Not that you're not important, but my, my team does things now better than I do. Mm. So the brain thrust and the design and how we implement plans is, is certainly going to come from me. But it, it took a lot of years to, to get to that point. But I, I build rapport through the process. Some people are going to plug into me. They're going to enjoy me. Other Others won't. And, and if we don't fit, that's okay. I've, I've written plans on folks that we didn't really like each other. I've also not written plans on people that really, really liked me. Mm-hmm. So there, there's a respect thing. And if they know that, that I'm going to get the job done and that I understand things that other folks don't, then they're probably likely to do business with me.
1: Mm. You can hear it. There's a lot of sales principles in there that I would point out to people. The confidence, like people buy from confidence because a lot of times confidence portrays competence, right? And you want to buy from someone you look up to, not from someone that you think knows as much as you or less than you. Um, And so I think that what I love of the other thing you said is that you are super direct. And I think one of the biggest mistakes salespeople make, especially early on in their career, is they dance around the point instead of just coming straight out and going, this is what I believe, this is what I can do for you, here's the value, and then being willing, like you said, to walk away. Meaning there's 10% of people who are not going to connect with the dumb life insurance person, perfect. You've weeded down the 10% that weren't going to be good fits for you anyways. You're willing to do business with the people that actually fit with you, that you can actually help. And that confidence is going to attract people. It's going to attract that tribe. And that's a really hard thing to do because there's probably people listening to this right now in their cars, gym, wherever they're at, and they know in their heart and mind, man, I need to be a little bit more real than I am. I need to be a little bit more direct. I need to be willing to tell that client or that prospect, no, but they're not doing it. And they don't understand how, so, how that hurts their business so much. Because one, you're going to come across as commission breath when you're not actually standing up for what you feel your value is and what you can deliver, not being direct. And then on top of that, you're going to end up getting a client that's going to take so much of your emotional energy, so much of your time where you could have used that to go get somebody else. And trust me, when you have a mindset of abundance, man, there's unlimited business out there, right? So you think of your book, you were saying you're close to 10,000, which is unbelievable, right? For a book and insurance. But think about the grand scheme of just the United States. How, How many people are in the United States? $300 Three uh, three hundred million?
0: Sixty four million. Right? You just
1: go, there's an unlimited amount of business. And so that's what you got to be thinking as a salesperson
0: to be able to go, yeah, I can be direct. I can be confident in what I present and what I do. Do you feel like you're constantly chasing after new leads? Does it feel like you're on a hamster wheel running forward but not getting anywhere? That's not the life you imagined when you got into this business. Listen in as Luke Acree and I prove the extraordinary power of referrals and the money you can make using referral-based marketing. Our free webinar shows you how to stay top of mind, nurture clients, and automate your marketing so you can get off the hamster wheel for good. Go to remindermedia.com/hamsterwheel Yes, that's the real URL. We named it that so you'd remember. Go there to find out the secrets that the top producers are using to live the life of freedom you know you deserve. That's ReminderMedia.com slash HamsterWheel. Take action on this today. I want to switch gears just a little bit
1: and talk about, you're obviously running a, a big book within insurance. Do you have agents that are under you? That are doing the actual sales and prospecting. If so, how many?
2: So, starting uh, the end of this last year, my my roles changed quite a bit. So, I'm I'm a a a bit more internal now than than probably I'm used to. Okay. Um, But it's so I at at one point um, when I was I was I was just running my agency I, I. probably at its highest point at around 250 producers that were going out and selling, but I was, my goodness, I I was in the field every single day, myself also writing business. Okay. So it wasn't, uh, you know, me, you know, hitting them with the whip behind the desk, doing that sort of thing, get out there and sell sort (laughs) of a deal. We do have through, through our, our firm. So we're an independent SEC registered RIA registered investment advisory. Um, and proud to, to say that we're SEC registered. Also one of the, uh, Inc. Magazine's fastest growing 5,000 companies. That's amazing. I don't know what our rank, rank is yet. Hopefully it's not you know, 5,000, but even if it's okay uh, to have the moniker from Inc. Magazine's just cool. But so we, we have our own internal team. Uh, we've got about 17 uh, active advisors within kind of the, the home team. And then uh, we also have a brokerage channel too that, that has producers that are, are plugging into us for a, a number of, of services, either to help with case design, to help with sales. Uh, Most of the time, I'm usually doing case design and and sales support these days. You know, doing explaining more of the complicated principles in in a very simplistic manner, helping them talk about... uh, We're we're designing a a premium finance case, uh, actually right after this, to where most producers, like it, it blows their mind. How can I have a bank end up paying the premium? On, on this note. And not only that, but I'm, I'm getting a policy that's much, much bigger. It, 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 they, they don't quite get it. So they bring me in to help and explain that stuff to the client. And really, it's a principle where being in two places at, the, at one time can be very lucrative, especially when things are off the IRS's radar screen, which sounds illegal, uh, but it's all written within the IRS tax code. I'm so a huge fan of uh, that.
1: Anything off the IRS radar screen, I'm a huge fan.
2: <laughs> hey, well, but, you know, there, I mean, they, they say there's no patriotic duty to pay more than your first share of taxes. So. Yeah,
1: I think that's called stupidity, anybody who pays more. <laughs> but here's what I would say is you've come back to that point a couple of times that I want to point out for people because I think it's a golden nugget. Your ability to break down complex things simplistically to your prospect, to make it tangible for them, to make it so they can understand it, whether it's through story, example, however you break that down, is insanely powerful. Because most people, they don't want to have to get into the nitty gritty of what you do. It doesn't matter if you're selling insurance, you're doing financial advising, you're doing real estate. They don't do that. That's not their business. That's why they've hired you. But they do mm-hmm. want to understand. And so your ability to keep it simple, stupid, as the KISS you know acronym says, is super, super powerful from a sales principle. I'm really curious, 250 producers, and obviously you've worked with a lot of producers over time. One is, what do you look for? and an actual sales agent that you bring on your team? And then where do you direct them to try to generate business? Because we talked about the challenge of the 200, but I'm curious kind of what you teach your team. But what do you look for first? Yeah, so it's
2: historically, remember that pedigree that I was talking about before, how it looked like I had all this great potential and, and I probably couldn't have been farther from the truth because none of that background meant a hill of beans to actually in the field practice. And you really don't know until you get them in the field. Uh, some folks take to it. Other folks don't. If, if looking back, I, I shouldn't have made it. it. I really shouldn't have. I should have quit very early on and and, and been done. Um, the problem is, is I've got a learning disability. So sometimes uh, I, I forget that I got kicked in the teeth, which is probably a blessing. Uh, what do I look for? I, I think traditionally people would say that the athletes uh, do really well as well as folks in education, athletics, because they understand team, they understand the practice, delay gratification, hard work, all that sort of thing. That's a good good line, lead up to to a decent pedigree. Also within our business, anyone who works in education, because they're going to have the ability to communicate well, to tell stories, to write well. Uh, it, all of that works really, really well. Um, the sales force, though. Some people just naturally have some, some charisma where people are, are willing to trust them and to plug into them. I've seen folks that have had a lot of success in our industry. I came from really, really strange backgrounds. Um, There's an advisor in Pennsylvania that was cleaning the, the pool of another managing general agent. And uh, I'm sorry, his fish tank. And he was, he was just like, this house is unbelievable. What is it that you do? So almost like one of those Jordan Belfort things. Hey, what do you do? Hire me sort of a thing. He didn't ask him to sell a pen. He just said, clean my fish tank and go get licensed. And uh, he, he became a, a good producer too. So, you know, it's, it's this industry is very strange because it, getting licensed and getting plugged in, is very simple. The toughest thing though, we talked about it before and, and being... the used car salesman, at least the used car salesman, you can smell the nasty smoke from the smoker from the vehicle before, uh, but you can touch it. You can still drive it. You can turn on the stereo. You you can kick the tires, literally. Life insurance, you're never going to see it. Sure, you you have a piece of paper that's got some numbers written on it, but most people think that uh, you have to die for the policy to even do anything, which is also something I talk about. I talk about kind of dying which is kind of, kind of a different thing. So it's, it, it's not for everybody. There's a really, really high failure rate. And I should, I should be more positive and say, well, only temper 10% succeed, but I don't, I say that 90, 90% of people fail it. Uh, and that's measured in two years. So I've, I've been, but why do they, why do
1: they f- fail? Like what's the main thing that you've seen from people in their, their failure <laughs>
2: Great question. I've seen it two different ways. I've seen folks that that either can't get the activity going or the opposite side of the spectrum. They actually have too much success. They get paid very quickly and their whole world is so astronomically different that they start thinking it's easy. Mm. So what 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 got them to where they are, they they, they forgot all the principles that, that got them to that point. You know, it's the same reason. I, I was watching the the Olympic golf match the other day. I mean, those guys are still hitting banging balls every day, still yep. rolling putts every day. They were doing that when there were three. You know, they're still yep. doing that. You think that you think they can roll a putt? Surely they can. But they're still putting in that that grind and that 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 you know that that foundational piece. That it's major league baseball players. I was watching home derby with with my son uh, a couple of weeks ago. They're still in the batting cage. They're hitting off a tee. You know, they're still practicing and grooving that swing. And if you get too far away from what got you to some level of success if you don't use it you lose it so i used to tell my producers keep a language journal and this is this is a key point because there are phrases there are dialects there there are processes that will lead to some degree of success and you're going to forget how you did that or what you did so writing down certain phrases or words or ideas And then having that document, and some of them will work, some of them won't, but sometimes you go back and you look at that like, you know what, I remember I used to tell this story about a washing machine, which I did. I would do it while I was selling life insurance. Go figure. I mean, it's a life insurance game. And, And there was a point where it was, like I said before, sales, 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 sales. I was buying leads and I got bit by two dog- two dogs one year. I wrote three hundred and fifty-four policies, three hundred and fifty six policies that year. But what type of but dogs?
1: Got- Chihuahuas? Or are we talking Pip here? They bulls were little here? ones. Okay. Yeah. So
2: I'm I'm in Houston, so I wore cowboy boots out in the field, thank God, because they couldn't bite through the, you know, the, the calf leather. Uh, otherwise that would have been that would have been yeah. a bad day.
1: But you're you're like agent that comes on. What's the, you know, hitting the batting cage for them? What's the putt that you're telling them they need to do every single day? To drive results.
2: Well, your favorite movie that you've ever seen? We saw Jungle Cruise with my little boy last night. Worth taking a look if you're a big fan of The Rock, and I think a lot of us are. Um, you gotta, you gotta respect that that man's grind. Uh, understanding that your your favorite movie was also a script, and internalizing some language and making it your own. You know, not changing things that have worked for other people until you've really had. The, the proper experience and the, and the knowledge and the skill sets been sharpened to such a degree to where you can make it your, your own. You know, default to some some of those. You can borrow people's stories. But my 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 hockey buddy, you don't have to say your hockey buddy. Hey, I have a good friend who called on his his hockey buddy. You know, you can borrow stories. You can, you can learn great what's going to yeah. work for other folks. Um, I used to teach my team. Nine different approaches, some cold, some with leads, some just there was a survey approach where you could take it out and just bang on doors in the poorest neighborhood you could find doing those types of activities just to get them experienced as quickly as possible. And believe it or not, a lot of those policies would stick because in some of these these tougher neighborhoods, they make sure their life insurance is paid because they want to make sure that if something happens to them, they can break the cycle of their family and get out of the hood. So it's. Brushing up on those skills, not being afraid of. of, of, I used to stand in a room with with producers and and take objections. And I'd just shoot them all down one by one just go through them all. You know, that was great practice for me. And then you get to a point where you're so well prepared for stuff that you just don't get objections anymore. It wasn't wasn't that I was so good at, at getting objections. It's just I hated objections so much that I had everything off of the pants. You can see back here, I was a fireman at EMT for Spring Fire Department. And one of the things that, uh, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire, right? Well, I used to spray water on stuff before the smoke would even start to show figuratively and, and, and within sales. But it's it's important to, to understand your process so that you're not confusing people along the way.
1: That's a huge sales principle. I, I, I always explained it to my sales guys as it's kind of like whack-a-mole. If you've ever played whack-a-mole before, you're trying to hit the mole before it comes up. And with objections, the main thing you have to understand about the you know buyer psychology is when someone says an objection, they're speaking a truth at that moment. So when they say, I need to talk to my wife, right? Or they need to see a sample or they need to whatever the objection is in your industry. All of a sudden, it becomes 10, 20, 30 times harder to overcome once they've said it. Because even if it's not true, which most of the time objections are not true, right? They're diversions. But what are they going to say? Have they just lied. When someone says, hey, I need to talk to my wife, what are they now going to step back and go, no, you know what? You've convinced me. I actually lied. I don't need to talk to my wife, (laughs) right? So the whole idea of whack-a-mole is you got to be able to hit those down before they come out because if you can address the objection before it happens, all of a sudden, they don't see themselves as a liar anymore. It's not harder for them to back up from their statement. So putting things into your scripts that basically go, hey, is there anybody else you would need to talk to? Getting them to say it. Now it's not an objection. It's just a fact that you would have to deal with. And so that game of whack-a-mole, if you understand your scripts, you understand the buyer that you're dealing with, you understand the normal objections that you get, you can weave those things in to where at the end, it's basically like, no, I have, I have no objections. Perfect. Well, I need your okay here. You know, smile, yeah. smile at them.
2: I, lo- I love your analogy and it's, you know, whatever you're not prepared for is what you're going to end up getting. So it's, it, it, I, I love how you, how you said that. And, and no one wants to admit that they're wrong. David Sandler used to say that all of our prospects are lying to us, whether they know it or not. And it's not that they intend to, Hey, call me tomorrow. Click. Yeah. Well, they, they call the next day. You know, it's, it's still a bad time. Click. Just tell the salesperson, look, I'm not interested. I'm not in the market. Just, just take me off your list. But they, they want to, they want to avoid the confrontation. So. Even if you do get an objection, not being combative at it, you don't you don't need to overcome the objection. You know, find a way that you can kind of put, yeah,
1: you, stay it's in to Pull
2: somebody than it is to push somebody. So if you can kind of pull them, you know, take take a minute, and, and you don't need to do a feel felt found sort of a deal. It doesn't have to be technique, but if it, if you've got a process that's internalized, it's way more important. And being able to you know, pause, take a breath, not just. I'm yep. going right at them, and you know, I said my little Western gunslinger. You don't need to do that. You do that in training. You, you don't. You don't need to do that in the field.
1: Well, I always tell people when I'm explaining to my sales guys, like, "Hey, you ever been in a like an argument with your significant other or a debate? Like, do you ever win that debate? Do you ever win? <laughs> no. Normally, you have to pause. Does anybody win? Right. Correct. You have to pause. You have to go away. You have to let time take happen, and then you come back and you can have you know a discussion. But the thing is, it's like the same in a sales call. It's like if you get into a debate with somebody where they've given you objection and you're just trying to overcome it, you've lost mm. because now you're just debating. It becomes more about that objection than anything that you're actually trying to deliver. Your point is golden. It is stay in agreement. If someone gives you an objection, stay in agreement. Meaning yeah, stay- totally agree. Absolutely. <laughs> That's yeah.
2: probably my language too. Yep. Yeah. You know what? Totally agree. Yep. Not, it's- hey you know, I feel the way that you do and others have felt the same way. And they have found that if we do, forget, forget all that. So it's, I think it's important to understand that the traditional sales stuff, but but not in, in a way that, I mean, well, it's this, this a very different market than a, what a lot of those books were written in. But, it, you know, to really internalize that sort of, of, of language and, you know, hey, man, I totally understand. It's, I, I thought this stuff was expensive too before I got into the business. You know, I've got a different level of awareness now. Like if it's a budget thing, we can sort through it. But obviously, you've got a need. We know where you're at. Let's scale this thing down. You know, later when when you've got more revenue and you want to give me 100 grand a year, we'll talk about that.
1: Yeah,
0: I love that. Yeah, you can see you've done that a lot. <laughs> oh, awesome, man. Rick. Now, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story, sharing that experience. I know there's a lot of golden nuggets that people can take away from that. Before we close out, let people know how they can connect with you
2: centricadvisor.com is, is really a great way. You'll see a lot of great stuff about our firm uh, for, for other producers that want to plug into us and, and utilize myself and my back office and, and our team to help them through some of the, what I call the sexier cases within life insurance. There's, there's a great insurance
0: broker wait,
1: wait, section. Wait, there's sexier cases in life insurance? <laughs> Dang, oh, I'm yeah. going to have to check this <laughs> out. <laughs> hey,
2: if you, if you knew what I knew. No, it's awesome. Uh, I, I think life insurance is sexy. I think uh, when you've got the ability in order to have the inside buildup of cash, to have a leverage point where you get to own the bank and the internal revenue service has no clue on their radar screen, things get pretty fun. So we like leveraging a, a number of different tools and assets.
1: That does to, sound pretty to sexy. To me. Some wealth. That,
0: that does sound pretty sexy to me. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. Yeah. <No. laughs> love the passion, man. Thank you so much for coming on again. And thank you all for listening to Dive Deeper in this episode. Get those links that Rick just mentioned, as well as the video for this episode. You can go to staypaidpodcast.com for the full show notes. If you enjoy this podcast and want to know how to show your support, the first way is to leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, along with a comment in your review. And the best way to help out the show is to share this episode with a friend. If you want to get hold of me or Luke, you can email us at podcast at remindermedia.com. And of course, you can follow us on Instagram. We are at Stay Paid Podcast. For this episode of Stay Paid, I'm Joshua Steik. Guys, and I'm Luke Acre. I got two action items Ooh. for you off of this we podcast. Got a twofer. Yeah, two Okay.
1: So one is who, what is the 10% of people that you're dealing with right now that you shouldn't be continuing to go after? What are those prospects that you know you're not being real? You're not being who you should be. You're not being your authentic self. You're not being direct, right? Like Rick is talking about make a commitment, cut those out, spend that time, that energy to go after the tribe of people that truly will connect with you, that you truly can help. So that's one action item for you. But the second action item for you is apply the KISS acronym to your sale, meaning how do you take a complex subject, whatever it is that you're selling, and how do you explain it so someone in sixth grade, right? Someone in elementary school can understand. And in fact, if you have kids, if you have nieces and nephews that you can test it out on, Go test that complex subject out by explaining it to them and seeing if they get what you talk about. Because the more, think about it this way, complexity is the enemy of execution. So the more complex something is, the harder it is for someone to make a decision, the harder it is for someone to execute. If you want more buyers to buy from you, you got to make it simple. Remember the difference between top producers and mediocre producers in every single business is top producers take action. Take action on that today.